Hey, so we're in this series called The Ten Commandments. Uh, it is a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments, and we're in week number two. And I want to get us started. To, you know, today is we're, we're going to get into the second commandment. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, which is the first place we encounter the Ten Commandments in the Bible. But uh, last week we got into the first commandment. We explained what it's all about. We explained what the commandments are all about. You know, God starts off the commandments by saying this, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. And so for, for some of you, if you think, oh, great, we're going to do a series on the Ten Commandments, we're going to just learn all about rules and regulations, I, I just want you to hear God's heart, because God's, commandment, God's commandments flow out of his heart, and, and he starts the whole thing by saying, I rescued you. He doesn't start the whole thing by saying, you're losers. He doesn't start by saying, I'm going to destroy you. Some, some people get the idea that that's how God is, that God is a, that he's just this, this mean, crotchety uh, judge, this lawgiver that wants to just give us all these rules and laws that we have to follow, and that's the perspective you have. In fact, maybe you're here today, maybe someone invited you today, and you haven't been to church for a while, or, or maybe you're a kid and your, your parents invited you, which means they drug you here to church this morning. And you're like, okay, I'll just get through this, I'll, I'll get through this lesson. But for some reason, you have this idea that, that God is this cosmic killjoy and that rules are all about giving you bondage and rules are all about keeping you from having fun. And I want you to just, I want you to hear how God starts the Ten Commandments. He said, I rescued you. It's kind of like a good dad. My dad did this, and now I do this too. When, when, uh, when I was growing up, you were allowed to spank your kids. It wasn't abusive. Um, it was just discipline. And my dad would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. It's kind of like one of those things. You know, God says, I love you. I care about you. That's why I'm giving you these commandments. I rescued you out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, and I want you to not be enslaved again. And so many people today are enslaved to things that, not, that aren't Egyptians. They're enslaved to money. They're enslaved to their identity crisis. They're enslaved to anxiety, depression. They're enslaved to some false religion. They're enslaved to, there's so many things that can enslave us today. And, and I just want you to, I want, before we even get into the second commandment, I want you to hear this again. God said, I rescued you from slavery so in essence, I'm giving you these Ten Commandments so you can stay out of slavery. I don't want you to be enslaved by the thing that is controlling and hurting you. God, Jesus said it himself. He says, I want you to have a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have a life to the full. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus and Jesus is God. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. I want you to have life. And so as we go through these Ten Commandments, I want you to remember that it's all about giving us life. Boundaries give us life. They don't bring death. Now, in the wrong hands, they bring death. If you've been around someone who's judgmental, if you've been around a leader who's hateful, if you've been around a leader who's insecure, then their rules are hurtful. Their rules are enslaving. But if you've ever even gotten a glimpse of a good 
well-adjusted, emotionally healthy person who's in leadership, you know that his rules are good. And they're for the benefit of his kids or his, or his employees or his, or his players on his team. And God is good. And so God's heart determines his law, and his heart is for our good. His heart is for our best. His heart is to free us from slavery, not to, not to enslave us by these rules and laws. So keep that in mind, even as we go through the second commandment today. And the second commandment is this, no idols. Let's read it, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of context this morning. Exodus 20, verse 4, it says this. God says this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And some of you are like, phew, got it. This is the one I feel pretty good about because I don't have any little wooden figurines that I bow down to before I go to bed at night. If you do, come talk to me afterward. Or you don't have anything out of stone that you chiseled out of stone that you worship and you bow down to. So commandment number two, you know, commandment number one is I'm the only God, there's no other God. Commandment number two is about idols, and a lot of us are like, okay, I'm, I think I'm good with this one. I might struggle a little bit on some of the other ones later on, but I think I'm good with this one. Not so fast, my little friend. You might not be as good as you think you are on this one. Let me show you why. Okay. In, verse, in chapter 19, in Exodus, so if you have a Bible or Bible app, you can open up to Exodus 20. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to put, I'm just going to have this up on the screen, this one right here. But I'm just going to kind of do a quick little tour because I want to make sure that you have, before we go any further in this Ten Commandments series, I want to make sure that you have the context of what's going on here in Exodus chapter 20. In, in chapter nine, Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come down to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. And then they will always trust you. Okay, so, so God is saying to Moses, God had this thing with Moses. God, God spoke to Moses, and Moses spoke to the people, and then the people spoke to Moses, and Moses spoke to God. And so it got, Moses was like this intermediary between God and all the Israelites. Remember, God takes the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They go, you know, they go through the, the sea and the parting of the sea, that whole cool thing. All that's, that, that was, that's what we're talking about here, guys. Moses leads them into freedom, and they're on their way to the promised land, and they get, they get sort of, they've got a little bit of a detour in, in the desert on their way to the promised land, and in the meantime, God is going to give them some rules and laws that would govern their new community in the promised land. Because think about it, for 400 years they've been in slavery in Egypt, and so they can't rule themselves. They don't have a constitution. They don't have anything. And so God is going to bring them out, and he's going to set them up as their own people, and he's going to be their king, and he's going to be their God, and he's going to be their leader, and it's just all going to be awesome. No more slavery. And so God is saying, but, but here are the, here's the constitution. Here are the rules that you need to live by. And he gives them these ten rules. Which, by the way, Jesus boiled down to two. And here they are. Jesus said, love God, love people. If you can love God, then you can love people. Because when your relationship is right with your authority, then your relationship is right with everyone else who's under that authority. 
But if nobody's under that authority, if everybody's going to be their own authority, then it's all going to be chaos. Let's remember that if you ever become president. Someone in here might be president someday, and I just want you to remember that, that if everyone is under an authority, if everyone submits to authority, then everyone can be good as long as that authority's good. Well, God is good. God is a good authority. And so God gives these Ten Commandments because he wants them to flourish in the promised land. He wants it to go well with them in the promised land. And so he says to Moses in Exodus 19, I'm going to come down in a thick cloud, Moses, and I am personally going to speak to the people. And that's what he did in chapter 20, verse 1. It says, then God gave the people all these instructions. Did you know that in Exodus 20, that when we're reading these next 17 verses, that God is actually personally speaking these to all the people. I don't know if you knew that. When it says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, that's God personally speaking. Moses isn't saying it to them, God's saying it to them. That's really cool. God is personally speaking these things. So when we get to the second commandment in verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. God is personally speaking this to the people. Through a cloud on top of Mount Sinai, it's this loud, thunderous thing. And it says at the end of of these Ten Commandments in verse 18. So 1 through 17 are the Ten Commandments. God speaking them personally. And then at the end of that it says this. When the people heard the thunder, and when they, they heard the loud blast of the ram's horn, And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing up from the mountain. So we get a picture of what this was like in Exodus 20, thousands of years ago, when Jesus personally spoke out these Ten Commandments to the people. It says when the people saw all this, it was like a, have you ever seen just a really cool thunderstorm? I mean, that's what it was like if you're from the Midwest. It was like right before a tornado comes in. It's like, I mean, could you just imagine the thunder and the lightning and just the, the power on display? It says when they... When they saw all of this and heard these Ten Commandments, it says they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said this, and this is funny. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But please don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. And that was the end of God speaking directly to the people. They were so freaked out by the power on display when God came to them personally and spoke to them that they're like, could you just speak to us next time? Let's kind of leave God out of this. He's a scary God. And Moses said, don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you so that you fear him and so that you will keep from sinning. The reason God came and spoke personally to you is so you get like, got it. I know who you are now, and I do not want to cross you. And Moses said, don't be afraid. But it says in verse 21, as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. How cool is that? They're all trembling in their boots, and Moses was not afraid because he had a relationship with God. Which one are you? Do you have a relationship with God where you can approach him, or are you afraid of him? There was one guy who wasn't afraid of him, one guy who had a relationship with him. And that's what God wants for all of us. He wants all of us to be able to approach the mountain like Moses did, without fear and trembling. Because he actually wants to rescue us. He actually wants a relationship with us.
So anyway, Moses approaches the mountain, and the Bible said that the next few chapters, now I'm just going to thumb through it real quick for you, but we're, we're getting to commandment two, but we, you need this. You need this context. He starts giving them, he starts giving Moses, one-on-one with Moses, Moses goes up the mountain, and he starts giving him some more rules and regulations. He talks about proper use of idols. This is just him and God, Moses and God. He talks about fair treatment of slaves. He talks about personal injury lawyers. He talks about protection of property. He talks about social responsibility. Does this, isn't this cool? Like he's giving Moses all this instruction so that when they get into the promised land, like they're not, it's not going to be anarchy. So God is lovingly giving him all this stuff. You can read this for yourself. If you have a hard time sleeping tonight, read this for yourself. He talks about justice. He talks about annual festivals that they should have in verse 23. And then finally, it says in verse 24, then the Lord said to Moses, okay, now I want, I want you to bring Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders, and I want, you to, I want you to come, but they have to worship at a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near me. And so Lo- Moses comes back down off the mountain. He says, hey, here's some more stuff God gave. Watch out for injury lawyers, you know, all this other stuff. And then, and then and he said, how are you guys feeling about this so far? And look at what it says in chapter 24, verse, verse 3. It said, all the people answered with one voice, almost like a mantra, like, almost like a worship song. They all answered with one, one voice. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. They're like, we like this. This is better. You go talk to God, scary God, and you just come tell us what he says. And he, and he did. He says, how about this? They're like, thumbs, two thumbs up. We love it. This is great. We're going to do everything that he has commanded. So it says in verse 4 that Moses wrote everything down, all these instructions. The next morning, he went back up. It says at the end of chapter 24, Moses disappeared into the cloud. He climbed higher up the mountain another time. Okay? And then it says this. Okay, we're almost there. He remained up there on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so you're with me. So chapter 20, God gives, personally gives the Ten Commandments to the people in his own voice, freaks them out. They're like, Moses, how about you and you work this out with God, just you guys? So Moses works it out for a little bit, comes back. They're like, this is great. Moses, go, Mo, he goes back up for 40 more days and nights to work out even more. And over that time, if you read chapter 25, God tells him about offerings for the tabernacle. He tells him about the Ark of the Covenant and Indiana Jones. He talks about the plans for the table, the plans for the lampstand, the plans for the tabernacle in chapter 26, plans for the altar of, burning, of the burning offering. He talks about the courtyard. So what he's doing is he's giving him all these pictures about the Ark of the Covenant, what the temple's going to look like someday, even though Solomon is the, is the one who builds the temple way down the road. He's, he's giving him all these rules and regulations. He's giving them, him this beautiful vision for what the world is going to be like when they're in the promised land and they have their God and God has his people and everybody loves each other, which is what it's for. He wants God, God's heart is for the people. He's like, this is going to be so cool. There's going to be a temple and you can come in and people can worship me and everybody's going to get along and parents are going to love their kids and kids are going to love their parents and kids are going to obey their parents and get good grades. And he talks about clothing for the priests and the design of the chest piece and the ephod on the priest, which is like his underwear. He talks about 
He talks about more clothing for the priests. Again, if you're having a hard time sleeping tonight, you can read Exodus 28. He talks in verse 29 about the dedication of the priests. And chapter 30 talks about the incense altar and how all that's going to work out. And money for the tabernacle and plants for the wash basin basin and the anointing oil and the incense. And he goes through all this stuff. And in chapter 31, he talks about who's going to build it all. And then finally, at the end of chapter 31, verse 18, it says, When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, 40 days, 40 nights, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That's what we, that's what we think of with the ten, these two big stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them, and it says this, written by the finger of God. How cool is that? God personally wrote this. So we start in chapter 20. God spoke it to the people in his own voice. And now we have at the end of all this time, he actually writes it out so that they wouldn't forget. He writes it out with his own finger. God writes the Ten Commandments out on the stone tablets. And Moses, at the end of this 40 days, he's coming down off the mountain with the stone tablets. He's like, that was a great retreat. That was awesome. How many of you have ever, ever had a mountaintop experience before with God? Raise your hand. That's right. I hope some of you have. I have. I've had several mountaintops where you just feel maybe it's a worship night or you go, to a, you go to a concert or whatever and you just feel like you just encountered God, the presence of God. That is literally where it comes from, Moses' mountaintop experience. He's coming down off of Mount Sinai with the tablets after just having this awesome one-on-one with God. God gives them all this. He gives them a vision for their future. He gives them the Ten Commandments, the, the simple rules to live by that we're going through in this series. And Moses is like, this is so great. And then chapter 32, the scene shifts to the bottom of the mountain where the people are. Now remember, the people were down there Freaked out in chapter 20 by God's voice and the thunder and the lightning and the big show. And now they say, Moses, how about you just deal with it? And so Moses does, but he's been gone for a couple weeks now. And it says this, chapter 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, his brother, and they said this, come on, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow, Moses. <laughs> That's funny to me. Is that not funny to anyone else? They're, they're saying, what happened to this fellow, Moses? This fellow, Moses, he led you out of Egypt. He led you through the, the sea. The sea parted. He, he was brave enough to go into the mountain that you were all wetting your pants about just 40 days ago, and you're calling him this fellow, Moses? Is that his name, Moses? What, I can't remember whatever his name was, they're like, Aaron, how about, how about you make us some gods that we can worship? Because that's, that's how all the, all the nations were. The nations had their own gods that they could see. They had, you know, they had Baal or they had Ashtoreth or they had, so they had these shrines and these idols. They had these gods that they could see and that they could touch. And, and the god that the God of Israel, the one true God, the only capital G God, you can't touch him. Can't touch this. You can't approach him. He, he had to come shrouded in a cloud 
And he spoke out of the cloud, and that was just a, a, a representation of him. But you couldn't touch him or see him or taste him or feel him. And, and so our God is a little slippier, a little bit more slippery than, than the God of all these other nations. And they're like, could we just have a God that we can relate to a little bit? And so not two months after God said this with his own voice, don't make a carved image for yourself. Please don't make a carved image for yourself because I'm the one true God. Not two months after that, they're begging Aaron because of what happened to this fellow Moses. And they're saying, could you make a carved image for us? And Aaron did. He said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people, and by the way, some of you are like, look, sons had earrings. Sons had earrings. And you're going to tell your dad right now, I need an earring. <laughs> and just remember, it's because they were slaves. That's why they had earrings. Anyway, you can have earrings if you want. And it says, all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, all in one voice. The same people who in one voice, just 40 days or however long earlier, they had just exclaimed, we will obey everything you say. God, we will obey everything you say, Yahweh. Now they're all coming together and they're worshiping before this idol this little cow made of gold. Notice it's a calf, not a cow. They didn't have enough gold to make a cow. They could only make a calf. And they said, O oh Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you see what happened just, just then? They wanted, they wanted something that they could touch and worship. They wanted something that could say, this this, yeah, forget that God of that fellow Moses. No, this little, this little gold calf, this, this is what brought us out of Egypt. This is what rescued us. This is what we'll worship now. So not two months after God spoke the commandment with his own voice, probably just a few days before he wrote the commandments out on those stone tablets with his own finger, the people of God, the people of the, the Israelites, are already breaking the second commandment. And the second commandment is about idolatry, and we're going to look at how we can do the very same thing today. Four points for us today, and I, want, I hope that you'll go to a small group or talk about this with your, with your family afterward or talk about it with a mentor. The first thing is this. We're all created to worship. And if we don't worship the one true God, then we'll find something else to take his place. I saw this first when I... Or I saw this very clearly when Tracy and I, years ago, we went to a U2 concert down at Rice Eccles Stadium, and we, see, we saw thousands of people just worshiping U2. I mean, just with their hand. It really was. It was like a worship experience. I, I, I went up to a worship. My daughter and I, Kenzie, we went up to Boise, and we saw Hillsong uh, lead a worship concert. It was so awesome, and people are just worshiping, and and just weeping and worshiping God and crying out to God in one voice. It was so beautiful. And that is exactly what I saw at the U2 concert. All these people just literally, arms raised, worshiping the God of music or the God of Bono or the God of U2 or the God of something. I don't know what it was. Worshiping. And it looks so similar to what we do when we worship the one true God. 
We were all created to worship. There is a God-shaped hole in your heart. And you're going to try to fill it with something. But remember, it's God-shaped. So only God can really fill it. And what we do is we try to cram all these other things. Sex, drugs, earrings. I don't know why I'm on the earrings thing. I don't really care. But You know, some of you worship your hair. I don't. Some of you worship your job. Some of you worship your family. Some of you worship your, co- your car, your house. I just I want you to think about what is it that you worship? What is it that you put your attention to? What is it you put your money to? We were all created to worship. And God is jealous for our worship, but we tend to worship other things. And we see in Exodus 32 that you don't have the authority to put God in a box. When we make idols, in essence what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in God's place by redefining and reducing him. That's what they did in Exodus 32. They said, we can't see that God, we don't understand that God, but this little golden calf we can get. This little golden calf we can wrap our minds around. I can understand this little golden calf. And think about what they're doing. They're saying... I'm going to define God for myself. I'm going to bring this, I'm going to bring this down. I'm going to redefine God for myself. And, and so what we're doing is we're saying, no, in essence, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to be God, and I'm going to define the terms. We're trying to take it into our own hands, and, and we, as human beings, we want control, or at least the illusion of control. And so we, 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 we fashion these things, and we try to, we try to box them up. We try to box it up. We try to, we say, this, this is how I want to think about God. And one of the ways we do that today is we say, oh, wait, what did God say in his word? Ooh, I don't, I don't think I like that. No, I'm not going to take that. Oh, he said this also? Oof. Let me think about that for a while. Let me think about my opinion about what he just says right there. I don't know if I like that. What does he say about marriage? Mm, man, I don't know if I like that. I want to follow my own opinions instead. I want to follow my own ideas. And that's how we define sin. Sin is trusting and acting on your own opinions and ideas instead of trusting in God and the way he defines the terms. And that's in essence what we do today whenever we, whenever we make an idol. If we make an idol out of sports, if we make an idol out of our weekends, God, I'm not going to give God that time. Why would I give God that time? I got football to get ready for. I got nachos to make, right? And then we sit there with our nachos and our Dr. Pepper and we worship at the idol of our football. Today, the Chicago Bears are playing the Oakland Raiders, I think, and Oakland Raiders fans are perfect examples of this. If you ever just just watch the game for a few minutes and watch when the camera pans over to some of of their fans. They're freaks. (laughs) They're complete freaks. And they're painted up, all kind. Of, it's like that is worshiping at the idol of your Oakland Raiders. And I'm just gonna be sitting over there with my Bears jersey on, <laughs> godly. And here's the scary thing about this: what as we go back to Exodus chapter 20, what one of the things Moses says.
here is that you will end up enslaved to the idols that you worship. And for any of you parents out there, I want you to hear this. Chances are your kids will too. You know, most of these commandments are, are just one-liners or two-liners, but this one is a whole paragraph. And I'm going to read the rest of the paragraph. I already showed you the, the first commandment, he, or the second, part, the second commandment. In verse 4, he says, you must not make for yourself an idol. But then he says this. He, he expands on it. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Verse 5. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods, lowercase. He says, I lay, this is the scary part, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. And the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. If I were there that day, this, is, this would have been the scariest thing for me as a parent. So I want to read that again. I want to read that section again. He says, I lay the sins of the parents on their children, and the entire family is affected when you worship idols, parents. Even the children in the fourth, third and fourth generations of those who reject me. And I want to just, I just want to make sure that I just dispel any myth here. He is not talking about some like mystical incantation that he speaks over you, mom and dad, that if you worship an idol, that now all of a sudden your, your kids are going to just naturally worship that idol like, like they're under this spell that they can't break until the fifth generation. That's not at all what's happening here, I don't believe. I think what's happening here is just straight up family counseling. Mom and dad, if you worship something, your kids are going to see it, and chances are they're going to worship that same thing. And then your grandkids are going to see it, and they're going to worship that same thing. And then your great-grandkids are going to see that, and they're going to worship the same thing. So mom and dad, be careful, because what you worship, your kids will worship. And I want you to think about this, and I, we see this. In fact, Tracy and I, we're very aware of this. And that's one of the reasons we're such big givers financially, because I think one of the biggest things that we tend to worship is money. And some of you are like, no, I don't worship money. Okay, then the things that that money buys, that's what you worship. We worship all this other stuff. And we've, since our kids were little, we've been very, very clear with them. And we're very generous with our giving to Alpine and to other to missionaries. And we let our kids know about it. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what you, what you invest in financially, you're going to end up falling in love with, and that's called idolatry. And so if we invest in the kingdom of God, then we believe that we're going to fall in love with the kingdom of God, and we believe our kids will as well. And that's the last point today, and it's this. God pours out his love on those who choose to worship him in the right way, and this too can impact a thousand generations. I love this because I'm going to read this again. I want you to hear this. I, some of you maybe never even noticed this in the Ten Commandments. But look at what it says here as I finish this section of commandment number two. Remember, the last point. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and the entire family is affected up to the fourth generation. But then he says this. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on the, those who love me and obey my commandments. Just in case some of you get the idea that God's a mean God, 
that he's an angry God? Did you hear what he just said? If you worship idols, it'll, it'll affect four generations. If you worship me, it'll affect a thousand. That's a God of grace. That's a God of mercy. That's the God I want to worship. That's the God I want my kids to worship. I don't want my kids to worship a God that they have to stand at a distance from and be afraid to approach. I want my kids to worship the one true God who rescued his people. And he wants his people to live in freedom, not in slavery. And I just challenge you today to worship this God, to lay your idols down and worship this God, because this God saves us. Today we're going to finish our time with communion. And what we do at communion is we, we worship the rescuing God, because the, the wafer represents the body of Jesus, who is God, who died on the cross for our sins to rescue us. And then when we dip it in the cup, the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled out to rescue us. The Ten Commandments are all about the heart of God, the love of God, this God who wants a relationship with us, and that relationship can only happen through Jesus Christ. So today we're going to close with a time of worship. One more song, and as we do this, I know it's crowded in here, but there's stations up in the back in the balcony and up here, and we just want to, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted him for salvation, we just want to invite you, whenever you're ready, to come forward and take that wafer and thank Jesus that he is a rescuing God. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your heart that is, that is so obvious, even in your commandments. Religions over the years have misrepresented these commandments. There's a lot of legalism that comes out of it. But God, you're not legalistic. You just really want us to love you and then you want to love us. And God, this, this sacrament of communion is such a picture of that, the love of God so clearly on display that you would sacrifice your only son to die for us even though we have idols, even though we worship things that are not you, even though we box you up and we try to redefine you. And God, today we just say we're sorry and we say thank you for your forgiveness and for your mercy and for your grace. And we receive it today even as we receive these elements in Jesus' name. Amen.